Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I am so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which is another interview in my series called Weekly Wow with Women in the Middle. Weekly Wow introduces you to amazing women who have something relevant to share with women in the middle. Today's episode introduces you to Mary Shores, the author of the book Conscious Communications. She's someone who has a lot to share when it comes to empowering yourself and taking your natural skills and talents and applying them. Mary spends her career as an author, a speaker, and an entrepreneur. She generates positive and pragmatic solutions for people who are, quite frankly, freaking out. (laughs) She blends her personal experience with her extensive knowledge of neuroscience and human behavior to guide businesses and individuals to defeat the freakout and create their ideal life. I am thrilled to welcome Mary Shores to the Women in the Middle podcast. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I am so excited to have you here with us today because I know your story and message is really going to resonate with women in the middle. My pleasure, Susie. It is so nice to be seeing you again. I'm very excited for today's show. I love meeting people online. It's so much fun. Mary and I met online. And now that I know her, that I'm just even more excited to bring her to the podcast. So Mary, tell me a little bit about what was going on in your 40s. In my 40s, yes. So my 40s, it's like, you know how with each decade of life, you evolve a little bit differently. And so I feel like my 20s, you know, you're still like free spirit. And I came from the generation that it was very much like you're starting a family and and really that there's an expectation to be doing that. So I got married young and had my children. In my 30s, I felt like I was really at that stage of wanting to build my career you know, everything was about doing as well as I could do. And it was very achievement focused. And then in the, in my forties, it was like all of that just imploded. You know what I mean? Like all of my world just sort of fell apart, imploded in ways because I became very aware of all the things I had never been aware of. You know, Mm -hmm. one example is Uh, super recently, my basement flooded. And, you know, here I live in the Midwest. And in the Midwest, it's very common to have basements. And people typically use a basement either as like an extra rec room or for storage. And so I have like 20 years of just crap stored down in the basement, right? Totally relate to this. Yeah. Right. So there's like a thousand square foot down there. And the whole thing was just water everywhere. And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean, like, like a foot of water and everything was ruined. And of course it's a big mess. And I was so grateful Susie because guess what happened? Like within two weeks, a big truck came and took all that stuff away. Well, here's the thing. I knew that all of that stuff that was in my basement was sort of like weighing on me like baggage, you know, like I had all these things that, that just sort of, it's my responsibility to keep track of them and I don't know, categorize them or whatever I was supposed to be doing. So whenever that stuff just got hauled away, I just felt so much more lighter. Well, the thing is that a basement is really a great metaphor for your subconscious mind. 
Ooh, tell so, me more about that. I like that. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with this silly story about the basement <laughs> club. But so many of us can relate to the basement thing for sure. Sure. So if you think about, and if you don't have a basement, maybe you have somewhere, like maybe you're paying a storage facility and you've got 20 years of junk in the storage facility, right? But we all know that feeling of it's weighing on you. It's almost like, it's almost like you're wearing a 50 pound weight on your back. And so your subconscious is like that because your subconscious, your body is like a library. And it's storing all the things that have ever happened to you. And there's, there's partially things, especially trauma. Um, trauma that's happened to us as far back as our early childhood, it can really get stuck in the body. And I think that in my 40s, it's really when my soul decided it was time to go on a healing journey. So all of a sudden, my career was not necessarily my highest priority. My, my personal relationships, maybe like trying to get a boyfriend or something like that was no longer the highest priority. But what was the highest priority is trying to clean out that subconscious mind of all of those previous traumas that have been building up in my system. It's like these things left over that had happened to me um, were causing a residue on my present day because trauma isn't really about the thing that happened. Trauma is about the impact that it makes on your present moment. Right. And what do you think it was that, that um, made it okay in your 20s and 30s that you weren't like compelled to deal with it yet? Well, I think that just like the basement, you know, how things build up over time and, and more and more and more. So I think that, you know, we're humans are very resilient. I'm a very resilient person. So I think that I was able to take on these things. I often say like my bounce back factor is huge because <laughs> I was abandoned at three years old wow. and I was um, by my, pa my, my parents and I was sent off to live with relatives for a few years. I was returned to my mother, but without my sister. So I had this other trauma of being, being um, separated from my sister. But see, I didn't realize the emotional injury that I had, that I had suffered through. And then when I was in my 20s, um, actually when I was 20, I lost my first child. Oh, and wow. so as you can see, there's this pattern of these re-emerging emotional injuries to my system. But I would say it wasn't until I got divorced that it just snapped, you know, and then it, things got really dark. Um, that was the darkest time of my life was going through the, the divorce that I, that I went through and trying to recover and get back on my feet again from, the, from my divorce. And I think that the wisdom that you inherit, if, if the wisdom that you earn when you get into your 40s is what made me finally able to look at these things and understand that these were traumas and that they are impacting my present day. Wow. So then the flood was really something that happened for you. and not Absolutely. To... Yeah, I love that. I, uh, we also had a traumatic flood. <laughs> <laughs> and it was right, um, it was in my late 40s. And it, when it happened, it, it, it felt like the end of the world to have to deal with everything. But a beautiful thing happened in my flood too. My flood was Katrina. Remember Katrina? Oh, yes. Yeah, so I'm in Toronto. So I thought, oh, nothing bad's going to happen from Katrina in Toronto. But we came into the house after being on vacation. And the house felt humid, but we had a pet sitter. There was somebody in the house. Nobody talked about a flood. 
And until it was a week later that I went into the crawl space in the basement to put the luggage away. And like you, there had been almost a foot of water in there and everything had floated and tipped. And mm. my, first, my first thought was the Rosenstein family photos. I had a hundred years of Rosenstein family photos in there in a plastic bin. So I started to freak. I looked at the back of the crawl space, which was a pretty big room. And the two bins of family photos were fine. They Isn't hadn't that amazing? Floated. That's the only thing in the room that hadn't floated and tipped. I couldn't believe it. Wow. And it happened for me too. <laughs> and then so, all the other stuff you just got to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Now, unfortunately, we filled up this new basement. We're in a new house now. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, a, it's an ongoing project. So that what was going on in your 40s was a lot of unhappiness, really. And um, in your work, you talk a lot about investing in yourself and finding the tools you need to turn it around. So would you say that that's what happened to bust out of your midlife funk, that that's the thing that really helped you move forward? I would say that it's a great formula for, you know, when you're aware of something, just being able to in, invest in yourself. And I know that um, I started realizing that there were enough people fascinated with my story and there were enough people that were very interested in where I had come from and how I was able to, to overcome it all. And I know that for like 10 years, I really just had this very strong desire to write a book. In fact, um, after my divorce, I was only 34 when I got divorced. So a couple of years later, I started thinking, oh, I want to write a book called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Transformation. <laughs> Because I realized that like looking back, it's almost not, it's hard to even recognize me as a person each, each decade. And, and it's because we're evolving, right? But for 10 years, I wanted to write this book and I would constantly say to, to anybody who would listen, I want to write a book, but I'm not a writer. And the thing is that, you know, words are a mirror to this subconscious mind. And it's like, when you hear me say the words, I want to write a book. Like you can see that written on my soul that I came into this life with the purpose of writing this book. But I have a big problem when the next words out of my mouth are, but I'm not a writer. Because those words are also revealing something to me about my subconscious belief systems. And as long as I am of the belief that, I, that I'm not capable of writing a book, then the, the reality is I'm never going to do it. It doesn't matter how many thousands of times that I say it. So what I needed to do was number one, you know, I, I started to learn, I was always following a lot of spiritual teachers and I have to be honest that I would get a little annoyed at some of the language that they would use. And one of the words was alignment. And I'm like, they would always say, get in alignment. And I'd be like, what does that mean? It doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? Or get out of your own way or all of these things, right? Well, I come to realize that I just started to make my own definitions. And so my definition of alignment became, I want to get my thoughts, my words, my actions, my choices, all moving in the same direction of what I want. Well, that second thing I said was words. And so I needed to believe that I could write. So what I did was invest in myself by going to a writer's workshop and when I did that, within a year, I had a book deal with Hay House Publishing, which um, was my, is my favorite publisher on the planet. That's amazing. And it's so 
uh, it's just resonates so much with the work that I do with my clients. We think about thought as sentences in your mind. Sentences obviously are made up of words. Sentences create feelings. Feelings drive action, and action ultimately creates your results. So our results in our in the world absolutely prove our thoughts. And I'm so glad that you use the example of your personal experience with writing because I can't tell you how many of my clients say they want to write. Some of them forgot that they wanted to write. It comes up with some of the work that we do. And then I say, well, why aren't you writing? And they have all kinds of beliefs that don't support any kind of forward movement in that direction. It's so true. And those kind of belief systems, as long as we're feeding into them, will continue to keep us stuck. And, you know, I have to tell you that when I went to that first writer's workshop, it was intimidating because there were a lot of other people in the room that were accomplished published authors. My writing teacher was Cheryl Strayed, who is one of the most famous authors on the planet. She wrote the book Wild, which then became a movie starring Reese Witherspoon. She was my first writing teacher. And at the end of that week, I... I read something to the class that I had written and you know what? Nobody, nobody um, made fun of me. Nobody told me I wasn't a writer. No one told me it was good. People come up, came up to me in tears because I, I wrote this short story about my daughter who passed away in 1993. Um, It was also about my, my son who's now 18. I, he was 14 at the time, but my son who is on the autism spectrum and what it's like raising a child just with absolutely no direction and no rule book. And then I paralleled that, that with my, my being a 20-year entrepreneur and the roller coaster life as a single mom and an entrepreneur. And people were just, in, they were moved by what I had said. And so, see, what happens is I could change my words because once my mind then saw the evidence, that it needed to be able to remove that belief system, I could then change my thoughts, right? Those one or two sentence thoughts that we have that seem to bubble up from out of nowhere, that's coming from the subconscious, right? But it controls so much. So I could then change those thoughts, which then changed the words, which then started to change the belief, and then it changed the actions and the behaviors, which led me to, as you say, the result. Yeah, and I love also in your work that you talk a lot about the science to back it up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, sure. So my focus, especially in my 40s, has primarily been the, um, my spiritual development. Um, in fact, I've taken it so seriously that um, my business that I own is a debt collection company. And I was seriously going through sort of a crisis of meaning or an existential crisis because when I decided that I wanted to take a more spiritual path or a more path of growth and development, um, it doesn't have to be a spiritual thing, you know, just a path to be the best version of myself. I thought, well, I didn't feel like my, a career in debt collections was congruent Hmm. with growing into my highest purpose. Right. So I felt very bothered by this. And um, I thought, what if I'm going to have to, you know, have you ever felt like that? What if I'm going to have to abandon this career that I love because it's no longer in alignment with my personal goals? And so what I come to realize was that because of the communication strategy that I had developed like 15 years earlier, that my path very much was in alignment because 
See, when you're doing the important thing to be on your path, and I learned this by going through this crisis, right? Because I was actually, um, I was at Omega Institute. I was at this very writer's workshop that, that we were just talking about. And I was sitting with a woman on the porch and I was sort of saying, you know, I don't know what to do. Am I going to have to abandon my career? And she looked at me and she said, don't you see you are on your mission. Your mission is to change how this country looks at debt and debt collections. And all of a sudden, all the light bulbs went off. And I have wow. a little section in the book called Karmic Debt Collections. <laughs> the reason she said that is because the whole mission of my company is to make people feel good about paying their debt because having a debt is, it becomes a psychological burden. It becomes, in fact, it's such a burden that if we owe money, it will literally build a wall in between us and living the life of, of our dreams. And so years ago, I had developed a strategy to help people through their debt by dealing with the shame and unworthiness that people have by having a debt. It's a foundational thing, right? So she told me that and all the light bulbs went off. And I realized, and, and I talk about this a lot, is that the way to really get on your purpose, you know, purpose has sort of become this like big P word like there's a purpose hiding behind a curtain and you have to go through some traumatic journey right. in order to discover your purpose. That's well, right. It's so true, but your purpose is really just whatever is your natural skills, gifts, and talents. You know, some people are natural connectors. Some people are wonderful um, singers or nurturers or whatever that is. Some people are healers. Some people are teachers. Some people are great at, you know, organizing their local women's event. Um, whatever that is, if you just feed that skill, if you just find ways to bring those skills out, even if it's through volunteering, you know, some people feel kind of stuck in their J-O-Bs. And if that's true for you, then just think, okay, my best skill is this. What can I do at my job that will best allow me to utilize this skill. And I promise you, and here's where the neuroscience comes in, the more you utilize your natural born skills, gifts, and talents, they will build. It's like a muscle in your mind and it will build to the point where all of a sudden synchronicities start to, to kick in and you start to be aware of opportunities around you that weren't possibly there before. And I want to follow, because I love neuroscience. My my whole book is based on what I call the crossroads of where science and spirituality meet. Love and it. I know we might not quite be there yet, but I have a free gift for the audience, which is my daily desires diary. And so this is a great daily practice for help to help you audience utilize the power of your own neural pathways or your own neuroscience neurology that exists in your mind. So in the Daily Desires Diary, you can download it, and it's a journal page, and it's super easy. The first part is you're going to say three things every day that you're grateful for. Now, we've all heard of gratitude practices, and I am just going to tell you that from a scientific perspective, when you take the time to, be, to have a gratitude practice and you write them down, what's happening is the circuitry in your brain that is looking for things in your environment to be grateful for begins to become stronger. And if you've ever seen those videos of like the neurons lighting up, just imagine yeah. there's a lot more of those neurons lighting up. And then over time, like over about 45 days, you actually begin to perceive your world slightly differently. It's really like a miracle because Marianne Williamson describes a miracle as a shift in perspective 
perception. The um, second part of this diary is to write down three moments of the day that you are proud of, three brags. And I love this because, you know, we're not always taught to brag on our accomplishments. And in a lot of ways, we're more humble. And we might even feel like we're not ladylike if we brag. That's right. But the neuroscience is going to suggest that when you reminisce on a big win or a small win, that you're actually strengthening the parts of the brain that comes up with the strategies of how you win in the first place. So that's just kind of another interesting and the reason for this daily practice. And the last thing is to say every day three things that you desire. Because that, what you know, I believe in the law of attraction and I talk about it a lot, but I don't, I like to talk about it from a scientific perspective. So if, if every, if we, if we can accept that infinite possibilities exist for all of us, it's like the things we do are, are, are what connects us to those things that we want or disconnects us. And this little diary practice will help you connect to those things that you want to attract into your life. No, I love that. We'll definitely um, give Mary's website at the end and also in the show notes, there'll be a link to get that gift. That's amazing. The other thing that you said, first of all, I love thinking about what's possible. I mean, just orienting yourself to what's possible versus what's not possible is so different. And Huge I have difference. to say, um, when I started to do the work on what's possible, I couldn't help uh, but reflect back to what I was like in my long-term job and I know a lot of my listeners are currently in long-term jobs. It's a very uh, common thing that happens in, that's usually related to a midlife funk of some sort. Um, but when I was in this long-term job, of course, I knew that I did many things really well. But I could also see now in hindsight how quickly it, it was. It was just so easy for me to see in my mind what wasn't possible versus what was possible. So you're in a long-term job, you've been around for a long time, you know what the bureaucracy is like, you know what it's like to get things done in a large organization. So when you've been there a long time, it's very easy to just say that won't work. That won't yes. work, here's why. Um, versus this orientation of what is possible, it really does change everything. The other thing that you said that really, um, really resonated with me is thinking about strengths in terms of process and not just outcome. So many times when, when we're stuck, and I've heard this a lot with my clients, we think, well, I'm stuck and I'm miserable. What else can I do? And, and the example you, you mentioned was amazing because maybe you don't need to do something else, but you need to do it differently. Mm -hmm. So focusing more on being present and the how instead of the what, there are times where thinking about the how is exactly what you need to be thinking about versus the what. There are other times to get yourself out of a funk where you really do need to think about what without being encumbered by the how, because often the how will just close you down. But when it, uh, like I'm too old, it's too expensive, it'll take too long, I could never do it, and all those kinds of things. But I love how you talked about using strength as process and not just outcome. And that just opens up a world of possibility. Because if you find a way to practice those strengths, even if it's outside of your job, and sometimes it's a matter of like letting go of the things that are not in your top strengths, because doing those things will actually be a drain on you. And believe it or not, I mean, in this stage of life, you're in a unique opportunity to give those things to the younger people who need to learn, learn those skills. Oh, that's such a great perspective. 
it totally is because they need that from us. We don't need, like we almost hoard all of that stuff. No, we should be, because if we focus on our top strengths and our top talents, we'll see those grow. And you know, going back to that daily desires diary, here's how you can kick those two things together. Okay. So let's just say, for example, I am that person who feels stuck and bureaucracy is no joke. I'm not making light of the fact of what, you know, if you're in a job and you feel like I know my place here and it feels a little bit impossible, you can still say, what is my best talent I can give and find a way to do that, even if it's volunteering something outside of your job. And if you do that daily desires diary, what's happening is you're strengthening the strategic part, the, the parts of your brain that are strategy oriented, that are problem solving oriented and you will start to, I, I call it becoming an idea machine. Mm. You will start to automatically download ideas that will change your circumstances. And if you do that practice, I always say to do it for a minimum of 45 days. I think you should do it forever. But if you do it for 45 days, you also will start to see the evidence just like I did. And when you see evidence of a shift, then your thoughts begin to shift and then your words begin to shift and then your, your belief systems begin to change until your behaviors and your actions start to change. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. There's another thing I did want to um, ask you about in your workbook that goes with your book. Uh, what's the name of your book again? The name of the book is Conscious Communications, Your Step-by-Step -step Guide to Harnessing the Power of Your Words to Change Your Mind, Your Choices, and Your Life. But really, you just have to remember the conscious communications part. Exactly. And uh, the, something you had in the workbook, and of course, it's in the book as well, that I just wanted to ask you about are the four Ds and how allowing yourself to think big this way can really change everything. So you start with desire. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so this is actually on page 167 of Conscious Communications and the chapter, this is one of a lot of people's favorite chapter. The chapter is called Becoming Who You Really Are. And this entire chapter is about like just what we've been talking about. And I call it my Dorothy moment. So I call it this moment of when I really realized that Dorothy had the power all along. And uh, I started to, yeah, isn't that cool? So good. <laughs> Whereas before, see, I had always seen myself as Scarlet. Because Scarlett, you know, she's so business brilliant and so savvy, but the problem is she's also full of drama all the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time, right? And, but I was like, wait a minute, Dorothy, she had the power all along and she had the unconditional love and support of the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Cowardly Lion. Okay, I digress. I love so, it. <laughs> all right. Desire is tapping into figuring out what you really want. Isn't it amazing when we talk to someone who's in midlife and you ask them what they really want and it's all about everybody else? It's so true. Right. Spent decades thinking about other people because the decades just before midlife have been a tremendously busy and building. So we've been focusing on career. We've been, um, you know, establishing families, uh, oftentimes establishing ourselves in a community with home ownership or or just like really getting entrenched in the community. Very, very busy time. And we're totally on the back burner. Absolutely. So the first step in this unpacking the four Ds is desire. We want to tap into what it is you really, really want. And I have some other practices. Like if you don't feel like you know, you can actually write a list of everything you don't want and then just say, what's the opposite? 
that's what I did because um, I felt like, well, I don't want to have these issues with my kids or, you know, I don't want this. So I want, what is it I do want? I want financial freedom. I, I realized that what I want is experiences. You know, I want to have experiences more than like having things. So then you want to move into the second D is design. So designing just understands like, is you can design your life any way that you want. You want to create a blueprint for yourself. And actually, um, in the book, in the last chapter, there's a one page action plan. So this would be help you create a blueprint of anything you want and to be able to do it in one page or less. The, uh, d the D is actually, we call it D with a big D because you have to decide with intensity that whatever it is that you will never have in your life again. So this is like partly there's a detach that when you make this intense decision, I will never have this in my life again. And you have to have the empowerment to say no to anything that doesn't serve that desire and that design. Oh my you God, that's so good. We, we call it constraint, but even, mm -hmm. any way you slice it, it was something that when uh, I was new to this work, it made me squirm because I was just so not comfortable with constraining that way, with making decisions to edit that would be beneficial to me. And my clients struggle with it too, this idea of constraint and deciding to just draw a line. And if it doesn't feed exactly what you want, you got to think of it as not equal, like it's not as important. Get rid of it. I love it. And what happened when you were finally able to realize the power in doing that? Oh my God, it's so much better to constrain. I mean, it, yes. you just have more, it's so much easier to focus uh, and you have more time and energy. Yeah, energy, right, because you're not exhausted all the time. Um, or if you're exhausted, maybe it's exhausted for a good reason, you know, right. because, because you did all the things that were in perfect alignment. Yeah, and that's the last thing, I'm just detaching. So, you know, understanding that we have to detach ourselves from everything that is not serving our purpose. And, you know, I'll be real with you that sometimes this means your friend circle changes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes this means not like one of the things is if you call your sister every day after work and your sister's going to complain about her day, sometimes we have to make the decision. I'm not calling my sister, you know, because I need to give myself that personal time on my drive home to decompress so that when I arrive in my house that I feel good. I mean, that's just a simple example. There's no, much bigger. I love a simple example because that's real. I mean, again, when we're so used to putting other people first, it's not that we shouldn't care about other people, but you have to be very um, intentional about your time and energy for sure. It's, it's so true. And detaching, detaching is really about identifying behaviors and choices that you have that are disconnecting you from your dream and then making that big D decision that you will not do it again. You know, sometimes it might be something big like smoking, you know, right. I will never smoke again, period. Um, and then creating that, designing a strategy that is going to support you in, in that decision. Absolutely. It's so, uh, making a decision is so freeing because when we, um, we talk about it as like, when you decide that you're going to be confused, <laughs> it's so indulgent, confusion and overwhelm and worry. They don't get you where you want to go, but it's safer to be there because then you don't need to move forward. So it's really interesting when people, um, are ready to, to really see the thoughts that are creating uh, overwhelm and confusion, and it does not serve them. 
So that's, that, right. that's great. I love that detach that, that use detachment with decision in a very productive way. I love that. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. So what lessons did you learn from your whole experience uh, about investing in yourself finally? Well, I mean, absolutely. I have learned the freedom that I really can have, do, or be anything I want. And I understand that we live in the greatest time ever that if I want to do something like write a book or, you know, in, 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 um, it, very soon I'm going to Peru to a trip in the Amazon to um, hang out with the indigenous people. Well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an anthropologist. And so this is something that I can do. So investing in yourself is always a way that ultimately creates more freedom in your world and gives you the most amount of control. Because I think that um, we're in a time period where the biggest lesson that we need to learn is that we are absolutely 100% in control of creating the life that we're living. Oh, Mary, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it sounds scary at first, but then it's so empowering when you ease yourself into that, um, just accepting more responsibility. It's just, I, I can see a lot of my clients are a little uncomfortable with it at first because you have to own things. You have to own what's hard. You have to own what you produce. You have to own what you create. I it's love so that. I love it. And what about advice for my women in the middle? What you got? You know, I have been very focused on this as of recently. And I think it's important, so I'm going to share it. You know, I mentioned the law of attraction earlier, and I think it's become popular. And, and you know, we know what it is, but I feel like we've gone to these extreme beliefs, okay? And I am not about those extreme beliefs, but here's what I will say. Empowerment is the key to manifestation. And what I mean is everything that you create from a place of empowerment is going to show up in your life stronger, faster, better, longer lasting. And here's the most important thing, more impactful. Mm. Okay. So let me just step back a second and say, what do I feel like empowerment is? Because it's a buzzword. Again, yep. it's one of these words. I'm not really sure what the definition is. To me, empowerment is when I feel like I know something inside, outside, backwards and forwards, and I know the outcome that I'm looking for. I know that desire. I'm no longer confused. I have that absolute clarity about what I want. And I know inside, outside, backwards and forwards, the direction I need to go to get there. Okay. Now, when I feel that way, that is the time to be doing your creating. That is the time to be doing your manifesting. But here's the problem, Susie, that breaks my heart. We've kind of taken this so far that we have this crazy positive psychology movement where if we're not thinking happy thoughts all the time, we're just doomed. And that's not the point here, okay? So let me take a moment to talk about disempowerment. No, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's great to talk about. Thank you. So disempowerment does not have to be a bad thing. Okay. Disempowerment, it doesn't even, we don't even have to call it disempowerment. It could be like, if we are, if I were to ask you, and someone asked me this a couple weeks ago, they said, Mary, how well do you feel on a scale of one to 20? And my answer was a seven. And I was a little afraid right? Because that's a seven. It's not good. I didn't say one to 10. I said one to 20. Mm. And I realized in that moment, 
Disempowerment is a state of being where it now becomes important to take care of yourself. All it means is it's time to close your circle in and take space. Self-care can just be as simple as I'm taking space for myself. And then what happens if you do that, and especially the closing your circle in part, that seven turns into an eight and a nine and a 10. And the point is when you're at a seven or a six or a five or a four, just don't create anything because everything you create from a place of disempowerment is going to be weak. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be chaotic and uncertain. So just wait, just take space for yourself and wait until you get back to that 12, 13, 14. And then that's when you take action. That's when you manifest. That's when you do creating. That is such a cool perspective. <laughs> that is, that's really interesting. And you're right. I, I also don't believe that we're meant to be happy all the time. But what's so important is not to fear negative emotion. To just, yes. you know, as you're doing this work, you become a watcher of your thoughts. And you know that you don't need to fear it. You know that it will pass like a wave. Sometimes it feels like that. But you don't need to be fearful, but it is part of the human experience, right? We've all, we all know what it's like to feel we, sad or fearful. If we were wired for nothing but positivity, we would not survive. I mean, it is a survival mechanism. We have these emotions for a reason, but there's something in popular culture that is, that is it's almost like it's almost like emotional bullying where if somebody has a negative thought, we, we then tell them that it's their fault and whatever they're creating in their life is because of their negative thoughts. This is such BS. I'm sorry to call it out that way, but it's true. There's nothing wrong with positive thinking. Positive thinking is very powerful and it does lead to an empowered state of being. The thing is, we need to have a way of processing our emotions when the shit hits the fan. Totally. Because I'm sorry but it's going to hit the fan. Oh, for you know? sure. <laughs> the basement, you're going to come home from vacation and the basement's flooded and you have to, you have to do things and it's okay to feel sad about this. I actually wrote a process once called um, five steps to break through your breakdown and it's all neuroscience based. So it's all based on these steps that are proven to create um, a, um, to create dopamine and serotonin. These being the happiness hormones. So that as we do these five steps, we actually lead our brain into a position to solve the problem, but at the same time to help us feel better about our situation, which is so important. Oh, that's so great. Do you have that in a blog or can I direct the listeners to that? Oh my gosh, Susie, thank you so much for asking. Yeah, you know what? Um, it is a blog and I will just give you a link and okay, you terrific. can put it up with the show notes because it's, the five steps are in the book as well. I think it's in chapter six. Um, the, the five steps are in the book, but I wrote it out as a blog as well. So love it. Either. Blogs are very accessible. Um, it's such a good way to put out some good stuff. Mary, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. How can people get your book? Well, I, you know, if you resonated with my story today and you want to know more, my big ask is if you please go on Amazon or anywhere you can buy books, check out Conscious Communications. And if you read the description and a handful of reviews, I promise you will know right away whether it is the book for you or not. So that's available on Amazon. And um, as last I knew, it was Barnes & Noble and just anywhere else you could, you could get a book at. And of course, you can find me. Um, I have a Facebook group actually called Fearless Ambition, if anyone's interested. Love to have you there. 
And your website is? It is maryshores.com, S-H-O-R-E-S. Awesome. Of course, I'll put all these links in the show notes for you guys, but that is it. I just wanted, I always like, I always like the author or the interviewee to, to say exactly where people can find them in their own words. I love that. Thank you so much. It's been a delight. We've learned a lot. And I think uh, the listeners, actually, I don't think I know the listeners got a lot out of your story today and what you had to share about uh, just the way we can become more empowered and be more intentional and create exactly what it is we want in our lives. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. That's it for this episode. I'm sure you'll agree that Mary is an exceptional inspiration with the means to really help us understand more about empowerment, our subconscious mind, and how we communicate. If you like what you've heard, just head over to the Women in the Middle podcast on iTunes and leave me a review. I totally appreciate that effort. Thanks in advance. Check out the show notes with more information and links, of course, at www.susierosenstein.com. While you're on my website, if you haven't done so yet, make sure to grab your copy of my free ebook, 10 Simple Ways to Bust Out of Your Midlife Funk. Just go to www.susierosenstein.com forward slash midlife funk. This will totally help you get going, I promise. Let's do this, ladies. One conscious communication at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.